0: it's the Stinkin' Truth podcast with Mark Schlereth,
1: presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome into Stinkin' Truth podcast. Uh, Mark Schlereth, along with Mike Evans, Scott The Huff, producing um, Millennial Ben helping out as well. Shout out to Millennial Ben. Also, a shout out to the great folks over at Sweet Sweat uh, that sponsor not only this program but also question mark and if you haven't uh, in, gotten involved in question mark you send us your questions i'll tweet them out on social media you send us the questions and if we pick your question to answer and we decide yours is the best they're going to send you a, a gift package worth up to 75 maybe more than 75 dollars worth of exercise equipment and other things so really cool stuff from uh, our our presenting sponsor that's the great folks over at sweet sweat find out more at sweet mike how are you buddy i'm good week to go until the
0: uh, draft starts thank goodness god bless the nfl for keeping things business as usual otherwise i would have gone absolutely bonkers by now but uh, yeah i'm ready to go draft is uh, upon us how you feeling about the draft you you feel good about what's going to happen at the top of the draft
1: well yeah i mean you know the draft I, again the draft is always one of those things for me that's a 50-50 kind of proposition um and you know you hope to, you hope through all the the through the process through all the you know investment and time and study and everything else that you do um you hope that it's more than a 50-50 process and uh, the good teams I think probably make it more than that but you know i always look at the draft is really interesting to me mike in this way i think there are probably six guys in any draft, maybe ten guys that are absolute like, I'm not going to call them generational players, but multiple kind of pro, all pro type of athletes, right? You never know how they're going to transition in the miss. league. Just say, yeah. just say can't miss. Just say they can't miss. They're, Yeah, there's probably six guys that, that become kind of can't miss propositions. I think after, and I've been saying this for years, after the 15th pick, there is very little that separates the end of the first round and the entirety of the second round there is very little that separates those players maybe it's not prototypical height or maybe it's not quite prototypical speed or maybe it's not quite prototypical hand size or you know whatever the stupid you know the stupid analytic measurement is on a player i think the player that you get at 17 is pretty damn close to the player you pick at 47 overall i don't think there's a big difference in those guys so there's maybe six guys that are you know that are difference makers six guys that are elite level and then i think it's pretty close you know it's just depending on what you're looking for and what differentiates those guys what what skills like trait skill trait are you looking for as an organization that separates those guys for you. But I don't think a lot actually separates that bottom of the first to the to the rest of the second round.
0: Yeah, and in the case of d- different positions in this draft, um, you know, sometimes, boy, it, they're deep. And everyone has been for weeks talking about how deep this wide receiver class is. You and I had a chance on our uh, Denver radio show to talk to T.J. Hushmanzada Longtime receiver in the NFL, 11 years. You work with him at FS1. He works with training receivers and uh, tight ends to get ready to come into the league. And, and he talked uh, with us about just how deep that class is.
2: Man, there's so many good receivers. <laughs> it, it's it's almost – I wouldn't say it's weird. It's just, this year is just very different. The – the guys coming out this year, literally, there's going to go, there's going to be guys going to second, third round that normally would probably get drafted in the first round this year.
0: And we asked him, okay, there's a lot of depth, but is is there a group that separates themselves from the the rest of the pack? Is it uh, Judy, CD Lamb, and and Henry Ruggs? I I, I found his answer uh, very interesting.
2: Okay, let me let me say this, and this is just my my opinion, obviously is from what I've seen, the only guy that's just head and shoulders, of, and, and nobody's head and shoulders above anybody at the receiver position. Everybody can play, but J- Jerry Judy, it, it, he's special. from The way he can put his foot in the ground, the way he can create separation, the way he starts and stops, what what Jerry Judy does is special. Now, outside of that in, in him – there's everybody else is pretty much, in my opinion, they're they're very similar. Some guys might be physically better than others, and other guys which you can't see might be mentally better than others. And so, I mean, you you can I can name a litany of guys that not not C D Lamb, not Henry Rose. You go to you can go to T Higgins. You can go to Brandon Ayuk. You can go to uh, Michael Pittman. There's so many different guys that nobody's even talking about. And these guys are going to be really good players. There's a kid from Texas A&M that's probably going to be a mid-late round pick named Courtney Davis that can flat out play. I mean, there's a lot of guys that nobody's talking about, but these kids aren't head and shoulder when I say Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs better than everyone else. Now, if, if I have to put someone in that category, it would be Jerry Judy by himself.
1: Lots to unpack there. Yeah, there is. You know, I, I, think, I think it's really interesting when you have that much depth and you have that many skills, you know, and it, and it comes down to this. Um, you know, what separates wide receivers? Like, what is it that, that truly separates the guys? And I think one of the things that separates you from the college game to the professional game is when you play in the college game, there are very few teams that you face – that will line up and press you in man-to-man coverage, beat you up on the line of scrimmage, and 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 play that style of football. You get in the NFL, that's something you're going to have to overcome. You know, a lot of a lot of guys in the college game don't become polished. I'll just say polished route runners because of several different things. There are several different reasons. One because of the speed of the game that the the game is played with, I'm not talking about the speed of the athletes. I'm talking about the speed of calling plays and the wide-open spread nature of college football and the difference in the hash marks. What ends up happening in college football is, like, you you are, as a defense, you are inundated with play after play after play after play, and so you line up in one defense, you line up in some type of zone, and the receivers don't have to necessarily become very polished route runners because they're just, they're just really running to wide open spaces where you have to be so much more precise. There has to be so much more precision in your route running ability when you're playing a myriad of different coverages and you're seeing a different coverage on every single play and you're seeing a different technique played on every single play and your ability to not only line up where you're supposed to line up, to know the motions, to know multiple positions, to know the X, to know the Z, to know the F, the motion guy, the slot, like to know all those different positions, all the different motions and shifts that come with those positions, and then being able to explode out of your stance or off the line of scrimmage and to recognize the defense and to read the defense and then to adjust your route accordingly, Mike. That's, that's why it's hard for receivers to make it and that's why you see like to me that's why you see a lot of the first round guys like historically if you look at the first round you'll see a lot of the first round receivers that never really quite make it and i think part of it is is the curse of the gifted you're so gifted that you could draft in the first round you never really had to do any of that you know the studying aspect of it the polishing your routes you didn't have to do any of that when you were in the college game and that's why I think I, I see a lot of these second and third round guys become stars in the league because they weren't as gifted athlete, athletically as some of the first round guys. So they always had that developed in their game. This draft, chock full
0: of great storylines. and and But one of the more underrated ones, I think, is uh, what does New England do at the quarterback position? Do they... Invest? Do they move up? Do they try to get themselves a guy like uh, Justin Herbert? Uh, they, they rumored to have uh, really liked Herbert, or do they stay with what they got? Do they draft a quarterback in uh, in this in the second round? I've heard guys like Jake Farm or Jalen Hurts linked to the uh, to the Patriots. Either way, uh, it'll be fascinating to see. For the first time that that I can remember, probably since since Brady took over in New England. The Vegas wise guys actually have uh, another team favored to win more games than wow. New England in the AFC East. Buffalo, their over under is nine. New England's eight and a half.
1: Is Buffalo, in your mind, right now, the team to beat in the AFC East? Well, defensively, Buffalo is still outstanding, right? They, they've got one of the best defenses in football, and you know some of that is is Josh Allen. How does he? How does he grow as a quarterback? How does he? Um, mature as a quarterback does he become more accurate better with the football I I love what they did offensively for him because they used his athleticism and they created um, some opportunities for him outside the pocket and and to do some of the things that he's really good at but he is definitely going to have to get better I I I will tell you this about the New England Patriots um, and about Bill Belichick in general Jared Stidham would not be with New England if Bill Belichick didn't think he could play now, remember, when Tom Brady came out, the New England Patriots kept four quarterbacks on their roster because because Belichick and the organization saw something special in Brady. And they decided to keep nobody. Most teams don't even keep three quarterbacks on their rosters anymore. They kept four quarterbacks on their rosters. None of those guys are going to play special teams. So you're asking now starters to become prominent special teams players because you decided to keep four quarterbacks on your roster. And so... With that said, like Stidham wouldn't be there if Bill Belichick didn't think he could play. Now, because of the philosophy that I have, and I think New England adheres to this philosophy, if you look at just their drafts lately, they always draft down to the bottom of the first round. And a lot of times, one of their strategies is trade out of that first round and get multiple second and third round picks. And we've seen them do that in the past, Right. I don't doubt that they may do that again. Get out of wherever that is. Where 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 does New England draft? Let me 23rd. just take a look right here. I believe it's twenty third. top of my. Head. I could see. I could see. Yes, twenty third. I could see them trade out of twenty third and pick themselves up. You know, another second round pick. Right, and and just say, okay, here we go. If twenty third, if you look at a draft chart, the twenty third position in the draft is worth seven hundred and sixty points. Okay, so you could trade. For a top flight second round pick, you know you could trade with Detroit, for instance, at at thirty five with five fifty, and still have two hundred and ten points left over. You could go right back into the third round, and you know, and trade with the seventy fifth pick, for instance, with uh, you know, are they? Excuse me, the eighty fifth pick at one hundred sixty five with Detroit, if you wanted to make that move, and you know, and and you give them some, you give them a little bit of you know, you take a little bit less for that 23rd overall pick. Like, there are teams, how about Indianapolis? Here's one, maybe this one's better. The 34th pick at 560 points, now you've got 200 points left over, and the 75th pick from Indianapolis goes at 215. So you're pretty much dead even on the trade value, and Indianapolis gets to go into the first round, and let's say, like, Indianapolis does not have a first-round pick. So now you get back into the 23rd overall pick and New England picks up a second rounder a high second rounder and a third rounder and I could see them doing that and getting a guy like Jake Fromm who is rising up the boards right now because his his you know his online interviews right his Zoom meetings or his his Skypes or whatever however they do that uh, like he's off the charts with his football knowledge and you know that intrigues a team like the uh, like the New England Patriots.
0: Yeah, I don't think the Patriots are consumed with the idea that their quarterbacks have to have big arms. They got to be smart. They got to know where to go to football, and they got to be able to lead. Now Dallas does not have an issue as to who their quarterback is going to be. It's going to be Dak. But what a week it's been for Dak Prescott, having to uh, fight back uh, claims that he wasn't doing enough social distancing, that he was throwing this uh, big party, and all these people were there shoulder to shoulder and he's like hey hold on it wasn't that bad you know it was less than 10 people it wasn't all congregated i'm I, you know don't don't label me a bad guy for supposedly doing the wrong thing during these during these times uh, all that and now maybe some questions do the cowboys somehow use that against him to drive the price tag down a little bit lower when it comes to working out a deal, ah, there's always something going
1: on with the Cowboys, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I mean, here's like here's my, my take on the Cowboys in general. One, they keep releasing contracts, like the Cowboys do it. The Cowboys, because I know Dak Prescott isn't releasing the numbers, and I know Dak Prescott's agent isn't releasing the numbers. Right, it's the Cowboys that keep releasing the numbers that are basically saying, "Hey, look at how much we're going to pay Dak Prescott. He was a fourth rounder. Now it's life changing, multiple generational money. And you know he's he's a greedy turd if he doesn't take this offer, right? And so I hate that aspect of of the negotiations, how it becomes public, and how you turn your own players against your own fan base. Like I I that, I just. I don't have a lot of respect for the way we and all the. I'm not. I'm not blaming just Dallas. Just about all the organizations do it, Mike. Um, and I think it's. I think it's dirty tactics, but it's what they do. Um, then the other thing that you always get, and I hear. I hear players like I, I heard Emmett Smith. It pissed me off too. Emmett Smith comes out and goes, "Hey, you know, uh, Dak should take less money and, and make it back on marketing here in Dallas. Oh, how's that? How's the marketing going right now?" with the way our world is in general. Like, I've said this multiple times on multiple platforms. It is not that Prescott's responsibility to manage the Dallas Cowboys cap. It's the Dallas Cowboys' responsibility to manage their own cap. I've also heard the Cowboys say, hey, you know, if he wants weapons like Amari Cooper and and yada, 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 you know, he's going to have to come up. You know, with a a, a team friendly deal. Oh, by the way, didn't you just pay Amari Cooper a five-year, hundred million dollar deal? Didn't you? Didn't you pay your running back last year um, and get him signed? Like, it's not it's not his job to manage the cap and to manage the players that he has at his disposal. Listen, take take what you can get, and you shouldn't take anything less than than what the market dictates. And, I, and I'll tell you this too. Like if I'm him and I see what Jared Goff got, why should I take less or, or even Carson Wentz who can't stay healthy? Why should I take less upfront money, less overall upfront guaranteed money than those two got than those two guys got two years ago or a year ago, whatever it was. So why why would why would he because he was a fourth rounder? Statistically he's better than both those guys. So why should he take less, Mike?
0: Boy, you, you just got me thinking about the Rams. My, my, how that has turned. I mean, just – it just seemed like yesterday. The Rams, Sean McVay, the toast of the town, the new wonderkin out there in NFL. They they steamroll their way to the playoffs, steamroll their way to the Super Bowl, and then they only score three points. They lose 13-3. to They tumble really? back to earth last year, 9-7. and seven. They sign Goff to that massive contract. Do you know that like, Jared Goff's cap number for this year dead dead money dead money cap hit for this year is ninety two million? I've never seen a number that high. Oh, by the way, it drops all the way to fifty eight million right. the next season. But I mean, they've they've had to move on from Todd Gurley, they've had to move on from Brandon Cooks. You know, maybe just something to keep in mind uh, for the Chiefs with their negotiations with Patrick Mahomes. Not that they're gonna. Not they're not going to get a deal done with Patrick Mahomes, but be careful how much you
1: pay your quarterback. Right. Well, it it the difference is something you say all the time, Mike, and I'll give you credit. Although you know I hate giving you hate it but yeah, I do. But like the elite guys, the elite level guys, You know, raise the level of of the the players that play around them, right? So they can take a a good wide receiver and make him great a great wide receiver and make him you know legendary type of thing and the really really elite level quarterbacks have an opportunity to do that it's uh the old john fox thing he used to say here all the time when he coached in denver was uh high tide rises all boats you know and the great quarterbacks rise all boats they are the high tide that rises the boats and you look at you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, man. That dude is gonna that dude is is gonna make everybody around him that much better because he is so gifted. He's such a he's such a flipping unicorn, um, you know. Jared Goff, no, not so much. And and I will say this, you know, as everybody wants to bag on Jared Goff, I think Jared Goff is a is a good quarterback. He's a he's in that second tier of quarterbacks, but that's a football team, Mike in my opinion, that used a lot of window dressing, that used a lot of motions, that used a lot of shifts, that that did a lot of things really well, that when they went to the Super Bowl, that run was all about their physicality and how they smash mouth you. They reminded me of the Bronco teams that won back-to-back Super Bowls that I was a part of. Because everybody would talk about West Coast offense. Oh, they're a finesse team. Oh, they just cut people. They just do this, and then you know what we would do? We would come on the football field and absolutely bludgeon your ass, right? And at the end of the day, anybody who played us, every coming coming in, they would talk about our finesse. Going out, they'd be like, "We got beat the. We got beat to a pulp," and and so there was this misnomer because of the fanciness of the offense and the motion and the shifts and the personnel groupings and all the different things they did, there was this belief that, oh, yeah, they're just a a finesse football team. And I think the Rams were very much that way. You know, they played 98% of their plays were in three wides. The only time they got out of three wides was the occasional goal line package and kneel downs at the end of games. That was it. They were in three wides the whole time, but they were a running football team first. And what happened to them is, you know, they got rid of their center who retired. They got rid of the most – one of the most physical guards in all of football, in Roger Saffold, who went to Tennessee. Oh, big surprise. All of a sudden, Tennessee became one of the most prominent run teams in football. They got rid of two guys that were big-time difference makers and replaced them with two guys who were average to below-average players. And then they wondered why, all of a sudden, they weren't the efficient offense they were in the past. Well – it, you know, that controlling the line of scrimmage, that's one thing that never goes in and out of style. And if you can control the line of scrimmage, I don't care who you are, you're going to win the majority of your games in this league.
0: All right, you ready to get to a little question,
1: Mark? Yeah, you bet I am. All right,
0: let's uh, do the first one here. It's from Reggie, who says, Mark, if the NFL does play in empty stadiums, will it look any different for the Redskins' home games from last year?
1: <laughs> no it it you know what unfortunately it probably won't so um empty stadiums hey listen man I, I i feel there's part of me that feels really bad and there's part of me that looks at that and and i just don't care for the decisions that were made i don't care for the ownership i don't care for some of the things that have gone on there so um there's there's part of me as a redskin that it hurts to watch them go through the struggles that they've gone through and then there's part of me that says serves you right for you know for the way you've handled your business so um it'll be interesting though to see them you know if if in fact they do have nfl games without fans for a while that'll be a that'll be an interesting thing mike um although i've done some jacksonville games so <laughs> same thing um, yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, I haven't done any skins games, but I've done some Jacksonville games where uh, there were a lot of, uh, in all, a, a lot of space, a lot. You know what? They were doing social distancing before social <laughs> distancing the, was even time. a thing. Yeah, yeah they were Jacksonville, way Jacksonville. ahead of their
0: time. So, what about the? In all seriousness, what about from a player's standpoint? Uh, can you imagine playing an NFL game in an empty stadium?
1: Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't bother you at all? Wouldn't bother me a bit. Um, You know, I mean, there's going to be some receivers that would bother, you know, because they want to be, you know, the Odell Beckham Juniors of the world that want to, you know, want to be the center of attention. But when you play, when you're uber competitive and you line up and you're playing against a guy that's trying to whip your ass, um, like, I don't ever think about the fans in the stands. When I was playing, I didn't think about the fans in the stands at any time. I was so concerned and so uh, focused on doing my job. You know, I can't – how many times – over the course of my career, did did I scrimmage a team mm-hmm. um, in front of nobody? You know, I mean, I, I remember times in, in London, England, where we were practicing against the 49ers, and, and there was nobody there. And we're practicing, we're beating the snot out of each other. Um, same thing when I went to Japan with the Broncos, and we were practicing against the Niners. Like, it, it was the same thing. Um, that didn't, it didn't affect the way that I practiced or the way that I played. So, I, I really don't think – I mean, it'll be eerie because there won't be any sound, um, you know. But I don't think it affects the way guys play. I, I really, I really think it'll have very, um, very limited or minimal effects on the way guys play.
0: Here's another one. It's from uh, Clarence, who asks, "Do you believe this is John Elway in his regime's last year in Denver? Does he need to at least make the playoffs just
1: to save face and maybe save his job?" Um. I don't boy that's that is tough I don't I think he's got two years left on his deal if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. uh, but from a legacy standpoint Mike I don't know that they, they if he didn't make the playoffs this year that they would fire him uh I don't think that'll happen but certainly if they don't make the playoffs or show vast improvement this year um it's it, it's gonna get the pressure is going to get a lot more intense and it's going to get a lot like there's going to be a lot more public anger and and discord towards John Elway. You want to talk about a, a guy that has a guy that has gone from untouchable to in the last four years um, being scrutinized by the fan base that that you know had posters of him hanging in their basements or in their childhood rooms. Like it is it is here in Denver. The, the noise has become, I mean, it, it has become very audible. Well, it's a great question. It, it
0: falls under the category of how much should the good times overshadow the lean times? Because the first half of his run as a general manager was extraordinary. Went to right. two Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl, brought in Peyton Manning, won a bunch of AFC West titles. But the last four years, they've been well below 500. have haven't made the playoffs, And how about this for a stat? In his last eight drafts, the 61 players that he has drafted, not one has gone to the Pro Bowl as a first-ballot Pro Bowl player. Others have gone as alternates. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just being voted in as one of the top guys in that initial wave
1: of Pro Bowlers, he doesn't have one. So So in eight years, you haven't drafted a Pro Bowler? No. In, and and in by years. the way, by the way, in that last eight years, you went to a Super Bowl four years ago, and when you go to a Super Bowl, Mike, there's there's two or three guys that get caught up in the get caught up in the uh, in the in the vortex, you know, in the wave, and two or three guys go to the Pro Bowl that probably were questionable picks at best, but they go just because the team is having such, such Unbelievable success. And you didn't even, even in that, you can't get one of your drafted players in the Pro Bowl. All right, which one you want to go with? You leaving it up to me? Uh, yeah, I'll leave it up to you, Mike. All right,
0: let's go with uh, the Elway question with uh, Clarence. Okay. Clarence is a uh, longtime contributor to uh, this podcast and our show. So uh, let's give it to Clarence Browd. Okay. Browd, Broad, Clarence.
1: Clarence Clarence. Uh, let me just let me just find that way to go to go Clarence every time a bell rings yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right is that pretty much it that's it are we done okay all right hey listen for everybody involved with the stinking truth podcast we truly appreciate you listening Hope you're uh, staying healthy and staying well. Thanks to the fine folks at Sweet Sweat for sponsoring the program. Also, Mark's All Pros referral network. You can check it out at Marksallpros.com. Um. Anyhow, Mike, uh, at, at sweet sweat.com for being our presenting sponsor. Mike, thank you so much, buddy. We'll be with you uh, again next week. All right. Sounds good.